Hey, my name's Ash T, and on this episode of The Dropouts, I have Mr. John Bailey, who went from forklift driver to voiceover actor. Thanks for coming, John. Thanks Is for that... having me. I'm Mr., though. Like, Mr. was my father. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your father. Let's talk about your parents. Yeah. Like, uh, where, where were you born? <laughs> I, I was born in Memphis, Tennessee, and uh, my dad worked a lot, so I didn't really see him a lot. But uh, he did get me involved in our church, and they had a, a puppet ministry there. So that was like my first character stuff. I was I was put on the fly with the with the children's church guy. He was like, I need a character who can do this and this and this. And I had like 15 minutes to get ready. So I had a big trunk of donated puppets. I had to whip together some characters and just throw them up there and get pretty good at it. How so, old were you? Uh, I think it was probably around 11 or 12. 11 or 12. And what did your mom do? Um, as little as possible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she was a Sunday school teacher there, and uh, she also was a part-time teacher in the school that I went to, which is super fun to have your mom as a teacher yeah so you were very involved in uh church early yeah on. i was uh well our church also had the school in it too so but my my inspiration actually originally came from cartoons when i was a kid so when i was five i heard uh peter cullen's voice the original the og optimus prime's voice but not in transformers i heard him at the beginning of voltron defender of the universe i was like whoa did you hear that <laughs> his voice is like made me sit up and pay attention and I just kind of like, I want to be that voice one day where people like pay attention to it. Oh, so you, cool. you did have that dream of like, I want to be a, a I didn't voice know what that was at the time. It was just something I was, I wanted to be able to be that thing that people were like, that's awesome. You know, I didn't really think much <laughs> about it, but I didn't really think of it as a career or anything. I didn't know that was a job. Did you, you know? ever think about like, I want to be an actor or was it no, just like, no, I want to be a really. voice? I mean, I did a lot of acting in school and I mean, we did plays. I, did, I was the go-to guy in college when they were like, we need a sketch for this or a, five minute thing on that they give me a script I'm like this is garbage let me just improvise something <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was kind of like the go-to idea guy for every you know um, acting thing I was well that's uh, fascinating started when I was like three or four they had me being a bible boy and they had to go <laughs> up and like a knock knock the devil's block off or something silly or stuff. Um, but yeah a lot of music as well sang in school sang with my, my family it was a very musical family my dad plays like half dozen instruments um, not, not so much me. I took like five years of piano and I was still doing chopsticks. So I guess I just didn't have that knack. <laughs> but I did learn a lot that was applied to voiceover later on because sheet music and scripts are not that much different. I mean, the words on a page are just notes on sheet music. So once I realized that there, you make up the song as you go along, it became easy. Well, I'm curious, did your parents ever put any pressure on you to join the church, like be a preacher or anything like that? As a um, well, my, my dad's father was an Assemblies of God pastor. But uh, it wasn't, there was never like, you know, but my oldest brother was kind of, you know, the holy golden child that was making all straight A's and had all the trophies. It was always like, was he the older brother? brother? Yeah. Well, I had two older brothers. He was like, I was born really late. I was an accident. I I, I never got tired of hearing you were supposed to be a girl. Um, (laughs) But uh, all three boys. And he was 11 years older than I was. My other brother was eight years older than I was. And it was always like, why can't you be more like your brother? Why can't you make good grades like that? I'm like, because I'm not him. Just, we're different people. Yeah. Um, and he did a little voice stuff, too. He worked at a Christian ranch out in Arkansas, and he would come up with characters that he would do to help teach Bible lessons or whatever. But I was always just, you know, able to imitate. I had a very good ear for it. I think that's a lot of, especially in my particular niche of the voiceover, which is ADR, being doing sound-alikes professionally for other actors is something that a lot of people can't differentiate between impressions and sound-alikes. Because with an impression, you take a stand-up comic, comic, which I also do some of, and it's like when you go to the fairgrounds and they have the character, the caricature guys. They're always overly accentuated versions of the real thing. It's supposed to be funny or entertaining. Like that version, I, I, I always use like a, a basic 
a basic voice like Arnold Schwarzenegger, where some people are just doing the ridiculous. But then when you do the real voice, right? You have to do, you have to sound exactly like the character, <laughs> and there's a big difference between this and this over here. Right? That's what all the com the comedians do. So you know, it became a thing where it's almost like ninja work. Like I sneak into a show or a movie, nobody even knows it's me because I'm filling in for another actor and I'm doing it to his mouth. And if the editor's good and I do a good job, nobody can even tell. I'm not. Sometimes I'm not even credited for it. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but it pays the bills, though. It doesn't yeah. matter whether it sucks or not. It's still like, hey, I got to work on that movie. I get residuals for that or whatever, you know. So. But so when you were younger, you don't feel like your parents ever pressured you to be one thing. I don't or the think other. so. Uh, they were just more like they didn't think this was a real job. You know, it was my, it wasn't more like you had to be in the church. You have to work in this, you know, as a whatever. What did they it want was, you to be? They didn't, they just wanted me to pay the bills. They wanted oh, me okay, to find gotcha. a good job that paid good money and just work at it and not quit, not give up because, you know, I was very bad with jobs that were boring. The monotony of being a forklift driver yeah. every freaking day. Although I did get to Wait, how did you get into forklift driving? Forklift driving just became uh, an option because I did a lot of warehouse work. Order pulling was kind of the main thing because it's Memphis. I mean, you know, now, yeah. nobody, now everybody knows about it because of Amazon. But back in the day, it was like, there was a lot of warehouse work there. There's a lot of just big, huge warehouses where they'd had tons and tons of product, and you'd have to people go through with tickets and pull the stuff and throw it in the box and ship it off to whatever company needed it. So, uh, but they also had heavy machine that need, they needed operators. Hmm. And when I found out that you get certified there, you just do an in-house test and you get paid a little bit extra money. I was like, well, it's extra money. And it wasn't as much running around pulling things off shelves as it was driving things to and from. But also it's a lot harder to clean up those kind of messes than it was when you're pulling it on the ground because you drop a whole pallet of stuff. It can take you all day to clean it up. Yeah. <laughs> or somebody could get hurt, you know, other things. Um, but I did still use my skills, not always for good. Uh, I tended to have a very good knack of sounding like my bosses, <laughs> and they should never give a guy like me a radio. So I would call them and be like, hey, Jesse, I need you to go over to, th to 32 QRX, pull me 15 boxes, such as that. And then knowing that that location was at the other end of the warehouse, two miles away, and they get down like, what was it? again? I was like, I'll oh, cancel that. <laughs> or I would call to somebody to the shelf and be hiding on it as my boss. And when they get there, blah, blah. <laughs> so the monotony of the job made you. Yeah, want to prank I, got, I got bored. I got really bored. I just started. I got a little. Back then, you didn't have a phone that had like recording apps. Totally. So I had a digital recorder, little pocket things that you know news news reporters would have. So I'd get just practice on characters, practice on sound alikes, whatever I could you know do. So, yeah, there was a lot of downtime, especially how, to sit on a forklift all day long. How long were you doing forklift work? Um, oof, that's a good question. I think it was like between three and five years. Um, it wasn't always at the same job, but it was always the same type of work. Because once you got certified for something, you go to another job, they'd be like, oh, you've done this before. So it was. they all did their own in-house testing. All you had to do was give you a little license thing. You didn't need anything special for it at like the DMV. Yeah. Just, as long as you did, did it certified there, they certified their own. So, But I, did get, I got pretty good at a few tricks. Can flip a quarter with the forklift blade. That's that, takes, awesome. that takes pretty. That takes a very particular set of skills. <laughs> so you do this for about five years, and was there a point where you're like, I, I don't think I want to do this anymore? Is there anything else um, to life? Well, I, the number one thing I, I tell students when I coach voiceover is don't quit your day job because <laughs> it's not a job you can just like, oh, I don't, I'm sick of doing forklift. I'm going to go be a voice actor. Yeah, it's one of those things where you have to have a supplemental income coming in because it is a it's a grind. It is a it's a journey. It's literally like mm. taking the ring and going to Mount Mordor, you know. Um, you just have to have the training. You have to have the experience. You have to have it. And there's just so many. There's a lot of moving parts. But it sounds of, like you quit completely, machine. right? 
Uh, no, not right away. I did not. Oh, um, not on purpose, anyway. My situation, it sounds very similar to a few of my other voice actor friends where I did not have any other choice. Uh, that was right at the end of the housing crisis, and when the bubble popped, our company was one of the ones that got hit, and they, uh. they, they filed bankruptcy. They managed to, excuse me, they, ran, they managed to come out of the bankruptcy, but they closed several locations, including mine. So our only option was, at the time, I was only just doing part-time voiceover auditions um, through a, a local studio that kind of acted as their own reps. So there wasn't an agency, and it wasn't just a studio. It was a little bit of both. But they really pushed non-union talent, which everybody starts off non-union. And I thought I was doing badly. I thought I was doing horrible because I was like, I should be booking like every single day and make a living at this. Wait, right? so you were doing voiceover work in Memphis? Yeah. Memphis is not a place for voiceover either. That's why it was kind of shocking. Wow, because when, when I found them, I found them through a MySpace ad. Oh, you uh, found that's them this thing MySpace? on the internet, kids. MySpace. <laughs> it was invented by Michael Sarah or whatever his name is. Uh, and uh, so when I look up their locations, they actually had one, one of their Wait, hang like, on. Seven you see a MySpace ad. Yeah. And you're like, I've been doing voices my whole life. I could do this easy. Is that, what was kinda, that? I, well, I kind of thought it was stupid, but I was, you know, somebody told me, he's like, well, what's the worst they can do? I say, no, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's only 10, 15 minute drive and they don't like it. They don't like it. What did the ad uh, say? What do you remember? It was like looking for, it said, do you love, you know, are you good at voices? Some of that effect. And, and you like, knew you we, were. We represent like 500 people. Come, come give yeah. us a try kind of thing. But when I looked at the list of locations, because Memphis is known for music, but they're known for the three Bs. They're known for, for barbecue, blues, and bullets, because we have a lot of crime. Mm. So uh, I'm not a fan of any of those three things. So I didn't really think anything about, act, other than the fact that they filmed a couple of movies there, like The Firm, because, you know, Gershom was actually from Memphis. I oh, think he, okay. went to, he went to school with a couple of my friends. Hmm. Um, so it was like, that, you really didn't think about voice acting things there. So when I found that they had a location, I was like, no way, because it, it's, it's at San Francisco. It had Los Angeles and New York. But then Memphis was like listed in there. I was like, huh. Fascinating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was like, I didn't know they even had this over there. So it was right around, um, it was right around November. And I, I called them up and said, hey, as, as says, it says you're always looking for new talent and that you represent over 500 people. I do voice stuff. And he's like, well, I said, what, what do I do? He's like, well, whatever you do, just do like a minute's worth. We'll just schedule a time to come in. So I really didn't know what to expect because I'd only – looked on the internet about voiceover things and it wasn't a lot of information about that back then they didn't have like voiceover websites yeah and they didn't even have a lot of the people there were no pictures we didn't know lorenzo music the voice of garfield we didn't even know what he looked like the guy was really good about avoiding the camera right so we had no idea because in the cartoons of my day they just listed a bunch of names they didn't tell you who they did <laughs> so yeah. he had no idea who they were we just assumed well they worked on this show but we don't know who who's who we have no idea so uh, they said, whatever you do, do like a minute's worth. So I was like, all right, well, it's, it's almost Thanksgiving, close to Christmas. So I took the, I had a book, The Nightmare Before, and The Night Before Christmas, not Nightmare, totally different movie, <laughs> different book, uh, The Night Before Christmas. And I wrote uh, either a character or an accent or a celebrity impression or whatever on each page and kind of split up the poem into different pieces. And I came in and recorded the thing. And I remember kind of seeing out of the corner of my eye that the engineer's jaw just going, like, holy crap, this guy's actually like legit good at this kind of stuff. And I hit them with like the one I get typecast most, which is the movie trailer voice. It was like, "Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." And just <laughs> went one crap. after after the other. And they uh, they were like, "Can you come back? I think we might have something for you." And he, I even remember him telling because they they didn't do demos the normal way. 
they just kind of did a little seven second clip of a particular like cowboy and seven seconds of this and i was like nowadays you do a 30 second demo for commercials with a bunch of different clips in it or you do a minute's worth for characters this was just a list of of voices which is kind of odd to me but this is just the way they did their thing and it was free that they the way they towed it is like we'll make your demo for free what they meant was we'll put our version of your demo on our site exclusively and you can't use it anywhere else uh. so it, it did have a few there was it had a few like pros and cons and the cons were you weren't allowed to talk about anything you worked on which i was like kind of like cia yeah i was like yeah it was kind of like fight club it was like first rule of voiceover <laughs> you're not allowed to talk about voiceover. yeah uh but it i mean it, it got in the door and I remember when they, they said, can we come back? I said, we don't have a lot of copy that can actually show off what you can do. I was like, oh, I can, I can write some stuff. I can just come up with some stuff. So I wrote some fake scripts for fake restaurants. In fact, the first one that I did, I, did, I just thought it was ironic. I had a Sam Elliott-type cowboy voice doing a, a restaurant called O'Grady's, which I thought was hilarious because <laughs> that's more of an Irish, an Irish pub. But yeah. it's like, you got Sam Elliott's voice on it. So <laughs> come down to the all-new O'Grady's chicken sandwich. Uh, and they, uh, a place called Texas Steakhouse. I know, so original with the name. They sold steaks from Texas. So, <laughs> but it was an, it was an East Coast company that had several locations. And they were like, can, can you come back and record this demo thing? And when I came back, Chris Parnell's dad was there. Hmm. And I'd known him for years. I just did not know that he was Chris Parnell's dad. And I'd heard that Chris Parnell from Saturday Night Live, if you didn't know, um, was from that area. He was a Germantown high school teacher. And they had this local show called the knowledge bowl mm -hmm. and if you ever watch i cannot find the video again but he actually hosted one week i thought it was, it was so bad i thought it was an snl sketch but it wasn't <laughs> funny it was a legit like school versus school trivia show but it's chris parnell <laughs> <clears throat> and i'd heard uh, i'd heard his dad's voice his dad's name was jack i'd heard, been hearing his voice for years i just didn't know that was his that was his father he was like the local nbc of you know this right. you know they would do this stuff for the news i'd hear him on the radio all the time he just had one of those big deep voices and uh, I was just reading several different funny things that I'd come up with or serious or whatever. And one of them was like a, a fake speech from George W. Bush, who was at the president at the time. And uh, when I got out of the booth, he's like, man, you should be on SNL. I was like, well, coming from you, that's a big conflict. Yeah. And your son's actually on that show. <laughs> uh, but I didn't think I was doing very well. I thought, I thought you needed to book like every week or every day in order to make a career out of it. And the engineer I was like, am I, am I doing bad? How do I know if I'm doing good or bad here? He's like, dude, you're booking every single month, like two or three times a month. There are people been with us for five years have never booked a single thing. Wow. Like, why are they still here then? <laughs> <laughs> so it got me a foot in the door, but I did not quit my day job. And then when that, oh, housing, so you're still doing when that bubble stuff. popped yeah. uh, about a year after, um, I was like, well, I guess full time it is because I had no other uh, backup choice. Yeah. Uh, we basically, I cashed out my 401k, which didn't have much on it. They had a small, uh, I, I got on um, uh food stamps and whatever that they they were allowed us to have unemployment benefits and it only lasted it only lasted a few months so i was paycheck to paycheck i was doing i was just i was doing the gig economy before it was a gig economy i was mowing grass i was cleaning gutters i was fixing up computers and reselling them or trying to troubleshoot people's computers fixed up bicycles and sold them just whatever i could do to make any income um including you know uh car loan you know title loans and cash advances it was rough for that first couple of years it was really that's why i'm like don't quit your day job if you've got a good day job don't quit it and just do that part-time on the on the side mm -hmm. until it because until the, the income can completely replace what you make don't give up on that because that takes a huge leap of faith and it does not always work out yeah very well. and that was all in memphis that was all in memphis okay. and then uh the year after that um former guest of yours was partners with my first manager 
uh, he. Uh, oh, you were making YouTube videos at the time, right? I was. I started the YouTube in two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. And okay. I started voiceover in two thousand eight. So okay. it was like a year after. So I only put a little bit of stuff out there. What kind of stuff were you? Putting I was just about to say. Uh, so one of yeah. the things I put out there was I noticed that there was different. Don LaFontaine had kind of become the iconic in a world guy. He's actually came up with the phrase in a world. He was like mm -hmm. the OG movie trailer voice guy. And my brother had found Pablo Francisco, the famous stand-up comedian, his bit on the, the little tortilla boy, you know, that whole sketch that he's been doing for like 30 years. And he's like, I bet you could do this better than that guy. And I started kind of like just listening and paying attention to it. And then I started paying attention to other movie trailer voices and realized, oh, this guy does this kind of thing, this guy. So there was the, the Hal Douglas, the odd life of Timothy Green. And then there was Mark Elliott, coming soon to own on Disney DVD. Now that was that guy. And then there was the Ashton Smith, who was basically the Don, the newer version of Don LaFontaine. But you can always tell his voice because it very specifically goes down at the end of every sentence. And Don just had that hard-edged Terminator 2 salvation, you know, whatever, or judgment, judgment Day. He just had that, that grit, that grovel. And then, uh, oddly enough, the Grindhouse guy, which a lot of people don't know this, was Corey Burton, who you might hear in Disneyland and Disney World, Please keep your hands inside the tram at all times. He's the same guy that does from Quentin Tarantino and Guillermo del Toro. You know, he's that guy. You know, the they gave him a dirty job. You know, and I was like, holy crap! He was the voice of my favorite character in Transformers, which I was like, holy crap! There's only a few people that do cartoons and do movie trailer voices, and that became like a goal of mine to be like the guy who does character stuff and trailer stuff because there was only like two or three of them that did it. In fact, I remember buying the Lost in Space DVD specifically because Optimus Prime was the narrator for the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere, far from anywhere, someone is searching, searching for the way home. <laughs> I was like, that was worth the whole, the whole DVD right there, just that one trailer. Movie, I didn't care. <laughs> so uh, I just kind of started practicing on it, and I made this video where I took, I wrote out a trailer, and I had changed, each, each section of the trailer was a different genre of film. And I would switch up which voices I would do in between each one. And my first manager found that video after it had gone out there and got like 30-something thousand views, which at the time, this is early YouTube days, so it yeah. was like 30,000 views was, was a, a lot, lot for some brand new user that nobody knew about. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and a lot of people don't know that YouTube is the second largest search engine next to Google. Wow. So... He just typed, after Don LaFontaine passed away, he just typed in, you know, movie trailer voice, and I popped up on, like, the third or fourth page. Crazy. He's like, this guy's got a lot of, like, raw talent. And at the time, I was just doing impressions of movie trailer voice guys. Mm. And he contacted me and was like, you know what, I think we can work with you directly, and you could come up with your own unique, you know, trailer voice. And that kind of became the whole start of the thing. And it was... Uh, was that I, Remo that did it? The Remo was his partner. Oh, okay, gotcha. Right. So Dean was... It was Dean and Remo. Remo did the music side of things. Got and it. Dean did the trailer side of things. And uh, I had built up kind of a resume of a couple a couple hundred movie trailers over the over the over that next year. Wow. But most of them were like, you know, never back down to the beat down. You know, like yeah. Michael Jai White stars in a movie that only goes to direct, directly into bins at, <laughs> at Walmart for $5. And it, so it was a lot of like direct to DVD. It wasn't big, you know, but then I booked Book of Eli when it came on, when they started doing, you know, the DVD Blu-ray, the DVD um releases and you're still in memphis at this time no right? no well yeah oh. at the time we were still i was yeah. still in memphis and uh a, and you were just sending it back and forth to them to make money pretty much yeah he he said he didn't see any reason for me to be in la okay because it, everything was remote back then which i had been saying for years like we don't have to be in la to do this 
although later on my agency was like, oh, you need to be in L.A. My manager's like, no, you don't need to be in L.A. Yeah. Uh, so I just kind of just did whatever they threw my way, and we kind of worked together until I built up a little bit of a resume. My original website kind of looked like an old-school Netflix where it was just a bunch of thumbnails, and some of them you could click on. It would take you to the YouTube, YouTube trailer. And a guy named Rick Party, at the time he went by Zurich, that's his real name, had a website, one of the few websites at the time for voiceover called voiceoveruniverse.com. And he kind of found me this. Everybody kind of feels like they, they had a part in discovering me because <laughs> he found me on the same YouTube video. I was like, I think you got a lot of cool, cool voiceover things. You should come join my website. Uh, and actually, it was, I got a lot of negative criticism there, too. There's a place where you could have people critique your demo. And I was still a naive kid at the time. So I was like, I posted up a, a, my demo was just me doing impressions of a bunch of characters that already had voice actors they did not need replaced. So uh, a guy on there that if I outed him, everybody would know exactly who he is because he's pretty big in the voiceover industry. He's like, oh, you're nowhere near a career. You got 10 to 15 years. It's going to cost you tens of thousands of dollars and all this stuff. And you'll never get anywhere in this business doing impressions. This guy literally does impressions for a living. Like he does sound alikes for characters. And I'm like, mm, maybe he just didn't want the competition. Yeah. So, But Book of Eli caught their attention after I'd already joined that site. And he featured it on the main page. And all of a sudden, my manager started again. I got calls. My manager got calls. Is like, there were people like, hey, so if are you sure you're doing this the right way? People threatening me, saying, like, if you're not in the union, then you're, I'm like, no, this was a union job. I, I did this legally. Like, and he's like, well, I'd, I'd hate for you to go to jail and your parents, your kids grow up without a father because he's in prison. I'm like, did you just threaten me with jail, bro? <laughs> and then when I talked to my manager about, it, like, oh, we actually know who this guy is. He used, we used to hire him. And I have a feeling he talked to his agent about, like, why didn't I book this job? And his agent didn't know what else to do except try, try to scare you off. He said, that just means you're doing a good job and you're, you're heading the right path. So from that point on, I just got, like, I'm just going to do whatever I do. I'm not going to let anything affect me and get in my way. And then it just became more and more people would start to recognize that. And then one of my biggest jobs that people know me for on his trailers found me through the same exact video my manager did. But by then, I'd added my website onto it. And they were like, holy crap, you do this for a living. You're not just some guy that does a movie trailer voice on YouTube. I'm like, yeah. I'm so the legit. website changed your The website your did. It changed, it changed a lot. Uh, and considering that I was, I designed it like a junior high school student and I had no idea what I was doing, it, it did the trick at least. Wow. When <laughs> were you making more money in voiceover than forklift? Uh, that second year after uh, I had signed with my manager, I had already tripled my income compared to my forklift. But I mean, I was at poverty level. I mean, we were making like maybe 30000 a year. And yeah. it's that, that back then, that we thought that was a lot of money because I came from making 20000 a year doing you know kitchen work and I, I was a Chick-fil-A kitchen manager at the time making eight mm. bucks an hour. I've, I've, been a, uh, I've been a dishwasher and a fry cook Doing the same same job as SpongeBob, um, for like two dollars and fifteen cents an hour. Like oh. it was, yeah. The South doesn't have great rates. Yeah, no, I'm from the South as well. <laughs> but but the bills are much smaller than they are here. Yes, so <laughs> it's a big difference. When my house, my mortgage was four hundred dollars a month. Wow. For a for a four bedroom. <laughs> so yeah, there's a big difference between that yeah. and here. Yeah. Out here, it would have been three times that would get you a single like <laughs> studio <laughs> studio closet. apartment exactly, where the bed pulls out of the wall. You know? Right. And there's a kitchen right in front of your bed. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm from Southwest Virginia. Uh, yeah, you, so. yeah, you know how it is. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I'm not that's... gonna go there. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all seen the movie uh, The Hills Have Eyes? I'm just kidding. <laughs> wrong. Oh no, wait, wait. It was the wrong turn. I think wrong turn was actually in, takes place in Virginia. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. <laughs> so yeah, all the, all the inbred hillbillies out there trying to eat your bodies. Did you Did you have a southern accent? Uh, you know, I did. But it's not as strong anymore. But when I get lazy, my eyes go ah, you know, instead of I. But, and we, we change things from running to running, you know, but that's about it. Um, and we have a few words that I didn't know I was saying wrong my whole life until I ran across them in a script, like naked. 
I thought it was naked. I just thought, <laughs> thought that's how you pronounced it. Naked. Yeah. yeah, it just sounded normal to me. But no, it's like you're saying it wrong. It's naked. I'm like naked. That sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> when did you finally move to LA? What was it? Uh, I moved to LA a little over five years ago. Um, okay. We uh, finally took the plunge when I realized that I, I kind of did it. I, I took a couple of years to transition here because that was that was not an easy trek. I had a very big family of four kids. Uh, married oh. at the time, so that was that was a rough thing, and uh, it was a it was kind of a point of contention between my wife at the time and I because she had a lot of family there. She didn't want to move away from them, and I understood that. I'm not super close with my family; they're just kind of a you know hands off. They didn't really pay attention to me as a kid. Why was they care as a grown up? <laughs> yeah. So, but you're uh, able to take care of four kids yeah, and a wife one with a, with a, one with with a voiceover the, salary. Yeah, one, one autistic kid on top of it. Wow. So, yeah, out, of, out of the four, the second one's autistic, and he's a full grown man now. So that's a whole another set of issues. But it allowed me to work from home, which was a big thing because me being gone, because the the hours for forklift work are they were donkeys. Brutal, like, yeah. It was fourteen hour days, four days a week, some days, and other days it was ten to twelve hours, like six days a week. It it got. I, to this day, I can't sleep longer than five hours before I'm just awake. Wow. Like, doesn't matter what time I bed, the time I go to bed at night, I will wake up five hours later without <laughs> any alarm clock at all. It's, my brain's so paranoid about being late for work. It's just like <laughs> programmed myself to not sleep longer than five hours. Um, but I transitioned. It took a couple years to transition here. Then once I got here, it was kind of a way just to prove my agency was being honest with me. Because I, I got the sense that they were just... At least at the time, I felt like they were like, oh, you do so much better if you're here. It's like, is that just a cop out? They're like, I'm not doing as good because, you know, you've got this easy, this easy excuse for why I'm not booking more is because I don't live there. Mm. So within the first year, I automatically started booking more. Like, Interesting. Legit. It really was a thing about well, being I'm, here. Well, I'm very fascinated by that because voiceover acting seems like everything could be done remotely. And well, you the, could just do it in Tennessee. The pandemic proved that, that mm. you could do that from anywhere as long as you have a good internet connection and you're available whatever hours they want you to be available for. But a lot of these studios are very old school and they, they just they feel better if they know you live here, uh, even if they do it remotely. So weird. And I'm like, so I could lie and say I live here and keep doing this yeah. remotely and nobody would know anyway. You know, so. But it does happen. It does So happen. you could move back to Tennessee and just pretend I, like... Eh, Yes and no, because mm-hmm. once I tra- once I realized that that YouTube was like my first intro into how social media can help a voice actor and cr- improve their business, and I had to explain this to to the IRS because they didn't get it. They were mm-hmm. like, "Why why should we count all these things as deductions?" I'm like, "Because me doing Ryan Reynolds voice content on social media got the attention of Maximum Effort, which got me hired for a Mint Mobile commercial, which is a union job. So it's like this this job that I paid for the things myself to create." ended up making this job, which is real money. So it's like, I, the way I described it was like, you know those guys in the old days, they'd be on the street corner and they'd, be, they'd have a dancing monkey and they'd throw a change in their box. But then, you know, the rich Monopoly guy comes along, I'd like you to come perform for three whole, 30 whole dollars for my party this evening. So that's the big job, but everybody else is throwing in the change. That little bit of change you get from social media may not add up to much, but the exposure and showing people what you do. I mean, look how many people have gotten full careers off TikTok or yeah. off YouTube or off Instagram. Like the M to the Beat Kid became like a number one pop singer because of the silly little clip from a song. Yeah. You know, so you just never know. And I was more like, my mindset was if you take ten fishing rods to to the river instead of one, you're nine. You know, you've got nine more chances to catch something than if you just had the one. Yeah. If you have one, you're gonna spend a whole lot more time fishing, and you'll probably catch a whole lot less. So anything I could do to put out there what I did, my sense of humor, the way I think creatively like the, the type of content that I do my just whatever I could do to show and I always kind of centered it around my skill set and just put it out as much as I possibly could and eventually it took off and it started getting people's attention and then it 
And now it's kind of like already starting to make its own money a little bit. But once I explained that to the IRS, like, oh, he's like, oh, okay, I see. Like, he's like, okay, well, we can work with this. Because it's not just one of those things where I spend 50 grand a year creating content specifically, but I'm only making five grand. <laughs> I'm not really making much money on social media. But the kind of jobs that eventually gets me to are the kind of people that, like, oh, I, they start putting those two mm. pieces together. You're the guy that does that thing. It helps people find me. Yeah. You know? So it's more like you know having an interactive Yellow Pages, if anybody still remembers what Yellow Pages are. <laughs> uh, so it's just like a way to... It's your calling card. Yeah, it's a way to put that brand out there and make it synonymous with a... particular. That's why I'm very big about making sure that your profile picture, your username, and your bio, everything's the same across the board. So no matter where you are out there, it, it gives people an easier way to find you and contact mm. you. Because I still get I still get auditions from friends of mine that I didn't get looking specifically for me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, they act like they don't know where to find me, but I put myself out there as much as possible. And eventually, oh, you're the guy that does the thing. So yeah, it just it just it just takes a lot of work. It's a lot of grind, and it becomes it became a full time second job. It's a second career just doing content. Oh, the social media yeah. aspect, and you of have it. to do both. If you yeah. just sit back and you sit on your hands, waiting you'll, for you'll, auditions. Yeah, you'll just get auditions from your agency, and that's about it. And a lot of people, I, I Carlos Solomon's Rocky. Uh, You'd know him as Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life, mm. and he's also Reno 911. He's also here, lizard, lizard, in the Taco Bell commercials. He did a video not too long ago where he put out this. I mean, it looked like it looked like the Star Wars saga, not the trilogy, the saga in paper form. He's like, these are auditions. He said, out of these, I probably booked maybe ten. Mm. <laughs> it was like this thick. Wow. And it just shows like how much work goes. If you just did that one thing, you wouldn't be able to make a living at it. You would not be able to pay your bills just doing that. Because the competition's insane. There's just so many people out there. They're so good at it. You have to be in that top 10th percentile in order to be able to make a living out of it. Wow. So now you make a living out of that and social media, right? I don't really make a living from the social media, but okay. I, I'm, I'm, I built up the voiceover career with what I've done with social media. So that's how, and that's helped me. It's, it's, more, it's good for more than one thing. It's helped me to True. network. It's helped me to make friends with other people in the industry, people that are working on projects that are not out, yet, out there yet. Um, one of my, one of my favorite people that I've become friends with over, over the internet through working online and eventually working with him in person is Adam Goldberg, the guy who created the Goldberg series. I had gotten mm. cast as a, as a one-off episode, which is still my favorite episode, not because I worked on it, because it's Die Hard and I <laughs> yeah. love Die Hard. And, uh, they wanted, he wanted to make his own version of Die Hard in the, in the episode. And of course they wanted a trailer guy. He's like, of course I wanted to get you cause I heard you in this other thing. But then when he, when he. I showed him a little bit of what I could do from socials. He's like, holy crap, you can do all this other, you're not just the one trick guy. I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, that's, that's kind of the whole point of social media to show that you're not that typecast one specific voice. You can do a whole bunch of other stuff. And that got me cast for other things and brought me in. And there's one non-disclosure non thing I'm not, not allowed to talk about, but it's a huge bucket list for me because it's something I loved as a kid. And I'm like, that would not have happened if I had not done social media and I hadn't you know, figured out how the internet works a little bit better. I'm still not great at it, but compared to most voice actors, I think I've got a better grasp of how it can help other than just getting a lot of followers and getting a lot of views. Because despite what they think, having a half million followers on social media does not mean that you're rolling in cash. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> it's not. You're rolling in views sometimes. Exactly. If the algorithm likes you enough. It's mostly for the attention. It really is. It really the, is. It gets you more work. Sometimes people use it for the validation. I don't really need the validation. Yeah. I just want to show people, this is the face that goes with this voice, right. and here's what I can do with it. Right. And once they realize that, oh, you know, and sometimes you just get a lot of people throwing the coins in your, in your purse and making the voice monkey dance, and sometimes you attract the Monopoly guys, and you get a real good job out of it. 
Well, it's a, it's a really fascinating story because you uh, just worked on your craft without even knowing you were working on your yeah. craft for years as music, a kid. Music, puppets, all that stuff yeah. was totally, yeah. It, like, I didn't realize how much in music applied directly to voiceover. Mm. Like pitch, tempo, all these things that just didn't. And then I was like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, that makes total sense. Like the falsetto thing, like doing voices in your high range and low range that aren't real, but they that you can create characters in them. There's, there's pockets of stuff. Uh, D. Bradley Baker is one I always use as an example because he he's memorized every single little part of his instrument, every part from the nose all the way down to his to, hmm. to his diaphragm. He knows how to make creature sounds that don't even exist, alien sounds that aren't even real. He just comes up with them. Fascinating. And he uses every single bit of his face, nose, and every not just his voice. And I was like, oh, so you can you can. And it was a lot of those moments for me were like light bulb moments. Like, oh, you don't have to just stick to this one thing like everybody else does. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> Once I realized that all I need is the sandbox. Once I know what sandbox I'm playing in, I realized that I can do whatever I want to with it. I became like the Lego master builder. I don't really need the instructions. I can build my own thing. And it kind of be it kind of I, I, the way I teach it to people is like think of a video game. Most of the video games out how, uh, out now, you can build your own avatar, and you always start with a blank slate. That's your basic voice. So just that blank, plain, humanoid shape. Then you add on the skin, you add on the texture, you add on the teeth, the hair, the style, the color of the hair, the the type of eyes, how big the eyes, small. You can micromanage that character. You're build you're building a character. You can do the same thing with your voice. You start off with your own voice, and you add a layer to it because now he's he's deep. Now maybe now he's southern. Maybe now you got a lisp, you know, and you just keep on adding layers till you've invented a whole new character, and then kind of for me, I just talk that way for a whole day until it annoys everybody else. But then it's locked in, and then I have like a cool character, and I give him a name and a catchphrase. Uh, a lot of people have catchphrases for a character, whether it's a, cele- a celebrity sound alike or not. Um, for Tracy Morgan, for example, it's like, my name is Tracy Morgan and I got you pregnant. You know, it's like, <laughs> that just instantly reminds me of all the things that make Tracy Morgan sound like Tracy Morgan. And for Ryan Reynolds, it's like, oh, hi there. How are you? You know, it's just kind of whatever pops in your head. So uh, I don't always share my character stuff as opposed to sound alike stuff because when I started doing certain sound alikes, I noticed a lot of other people like, oh, I can do that too. Mm. <laughs> like, so there's a lot of other people trying to just catch on to the bandwagon of whatever becomes popular. So when it comes to auditions, I don't want to share a character that somebody, because this is a business where if somebody hears a cool voice, they're going to do You it. don't own the rights to it. They're just going to take it and use it for their own yeah. auditions, and they'll end up booking it over you. So yeah. you keep that stuff to your, close to the best. You keep your quiver full of cool stuff, but you don't use it until you get booked. Right. Can you can you give us your favorite character? Or is that on uh, I still it's a tie. A lot it used to be Optimus Prime because it was the one that inspired me as a kid. Yeah, but it it became a tie between Ryan Reynolds and and Optimus Prime because it's just such a, his voice is so fun to play with. Can you can you improv a scene between Ryan Reynolds? and I, Optimus I've, Prime? I've been asked this question. Before. It's not <laughs> okay. that hard because Marvel at one time did own Transformers, and it's no way you're not getting inside me until you take a bath. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like one of those things where. You eventually know a character well enough that you could just no matter what they throw in front of you. It's like I did a, I did a commercial with Optimus Prime and Snoop Dogg, like a real with the real Snoop Dogg. I think I've seen it. And yeah, and I was like, that was so funny because they were like they were having me say things that Snoop said <laughs> while his mouth was moving, but Optimus Prime's voice was coming out of his face. And it was just like this is sur- this job becomes surreal at that point. Like I can't I I could not have convinced myself as an eight to ten year old kid that I'd be doing this. I would have laughed at myself. Like, You're insane. <laughs> Like, are you going to be Optimus Prime? You're going to be the voice in some Star Wars toys? No freaking way. So, yeah. Do you, do you, are there any decisions that you've made that you really regret that you wish you could go back in time? And I mean, like, the biggest one is probably I wish I could have started on it sooner. 
but mm. I think that I probably wouldn't have been ready. It took me it took me twelve years to really hit my stride mm. out of wow. out of the, out of almost fifteen years of doing this career, and not counting the two or three years of research and development. If I'd started on this as a kid, I think I would have been for, much further along than mm. I am now because I hit the wrong time to be a white middle aged guy in voiceover. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, it's like going to Baskin Robbins and ordering vanilla. <laughs> <laughs> So I have to be funnier and better at it than everybody else that are faster. That's an, that's another big one. These engineers, you can ask these guys over here, they want to get done. They don't really care. They just want to get done and get lunch. And they want to get done early so they have a longer lunch. So I found it's not always about being the very best at a thing. It's about being good at it and being fast at it and getting finished. Mm. He's, now he's over there, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's over there probably looking at his watch like, are we done yet? <laughs> Especially with ADR. ADR is very surgical yeah. because if it's not, if it's not off screen, you know, where somebody's on the phone or on the radio, mm -hmm. that stuff's easy. But right. when you're matching their exact mouth. It's impossible. And there's a reason why anime is, you know, the way it is. I'm not even going to use the words. I'm just going to say the anime is the way it is. Uh, it's because they have to match those flaps. Wow. Unlike what everybody else wants to watch. So we don't really care if the, the, fl the flaps match. We just want it to be good. Right. So you don't have to invent words or make them sound like Speed Racer just to match the flaps because yeah. it sounds ridiculous. Like people don't actually talk that way. But it became, a, it became very important to memorize the line and then just do it and watch their mouths. That became this, it became more about the skill than being a great voice actor. And once I realized that trick, I was just, I was, they were like, wow, you just knocked out like a 10 minute scene in a couple of minutes. And mm. a two hour session, four hour session became a 45 minute session. And they're like, dude, we're done. You know, they love it. And I'm like, this is how you get, this is how you get hired back over and over again. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Well, do you uh, have any advice for somebody? You kind of already alluded to this. I do. I do tell uh, number one thing: don't quit your day job. <laughs> yeah, don't quit your day job. <laughs> Make sure when... that you wouldn't rather be a plumber instead, because it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of. It's it's not just about skill. A lot of people just think, oh, I have. A, I hear this all the time. I've got a great voice, or my friends tell me, my my mom tells me that I'm a great voice actor. It's, it doesn't really matter what other people think. It doesn't matter how great your voice is. Are you a good actor? It's called voice acting for a reason. It's mm. about acting well. There's a reason why so many on-camera actors get hired for it because they're already great at, at acting. You don't have to necessarily... They, they, a lot of people think it's easy. They think it's because you don't have to memorize the script. You know, you just put a piece of paper and you just read into a microphone. That's, there's so much more to it than that. And the business is, is enormous. There's voices everywhere you go, especially now that we've become so saturated in commercials and, and advertisements everywhere. Like, you go to Walmart, there's TVs at the end of every aisle advertising with voice in it now. In fact, I remember the first time I did... Target and Kmart and Walmart exclusive commercials in store only. I was like, that's a thing now? <laughs> like you can only hear this ad in the electronics department at Target? Like, yeah. But sure enough, is Spider-Man, the exclusive Target, you know, whatever. I was like, that nobody else will hear that except they go into Target and you can hear me. But you're not going to see it on TV. Mm -hmm. So you never know. I mean, the voice in the toy. Do you have anybody, do you know anybody that's like, oh, I'm the voice of this toy. They don't credit in the back of the box. Voiced by Epic Voice Guy. <laughs> nope. You have no idea who that is. Um, in fact, I found out through doing voiceover work for toys that they're not allowed to use clips from their shows or games or whatever wow. for the toys. They're supposed to have that. They're supposed to get paid for that. I've seen, I've seen actors get ripped off because of that. Mm. And they have a very specific, like any, anything official video game, movie, or show is union. Everything else is non-union. And a lot of those actors are like, no, I'm not doing that for those rates. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do this. So either you... It's like FICOR, which the first rule of FICOR is you don't talk about FICOR, where you can legally do union or non-union, or you either have a union, or there's only three options. You're either union, non-union, or you're FICOR, and you can do both. And anybody that does both is not going to talk about it, because it's like, you know, the, the, the hidden secret rule. 
But it's it's one of these things where there's a lot of people out there that the union guys won't do it. People like me is like, look, I can't because legal reasons. I'm I'm only allowed to do union stuff. There's one million people. They're like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm not union. I'll freaking sound like that guy. So it's yeah. I I remember asking Maurice Lamarche, the voice of Brain from Pinky and the Brain, as well as most of cast of Futurama and other things. Uh, I was like, do you guys get? Are you guys offended or are you flattered when somebody like me that's way down on the pole does impressions of your characters? He's like, it's more like I don't want that to be used as leverage against me for mm-hmm. Warner Brothers or Disney. Be like, well, if you won't do it for this rate, here's what we'll pay you. And if not, we'll get John Bailey to do oh, it instead. Wow. And wow. I didn't want to be the guy that they threaten people with. So I'm like, I, t- I try to watch people's back. There's a lot of people out there that would literally like, oh, yeah, I'll freaking do it. But I feel like I want to work with these guys. Yeah. I don't want to work against them. And mm-hmm. I certainly don't want to be used as ammunition to like shoot them down and force them to take a lower rate or else they'll give it to me. Mm-hmm. I always double and triple check. Like I'm not going to do it if he's capable and willing and he's healthy and he wants to do the job. Think that's what happened with Futurama. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing. Like I, I just asked John, I was like, dude, Bender? <laughs> you know? And he's like, I had nothing to do with it. It wasn't because I didn't want to. And he's like, you can you can uh, say whatever you need to say if you if you catch my my hint hint wink wink. I'm like, I get you, bro. So uh, yeah, I basically told my agency like, you can tell him to bite my shiny middle ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just I don't think you should work against the people who have laid the groundwork for people like me to actually be in this. And I want to work with those guys. Yeah. It was like a bucket list was to work in the same thing with them in an official capacity, not replace anyone. So with with ADR, I understand because you get a big movie star, like. Jeremy Renner or Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans or you know Ryan Reynolds or whatever, and they're just they're busy everywhere and if they're not busy they don't feel like going all the way to a studio especially Ryan Reynolds lives in New York mm-hmm. he doesn't want to go all the way to LA or find a studio in New York to go record a thing in fact I think it was adorable I was watching Wrexham he's using the little mobile microphone that I recommended because <laughs> like I use a mobile mic uh, they just they don't have the time or it's like the rate's ridiculous like we need to do a pickup for this one trailer but we need your voice for it. And he's like, dude, just get a sound alike, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that would just do that one little bit. They'll do it at union scale and they're done. Whereas an actor is like, I, it would take me all day just to get around to it. And it's a lot, of, a lot of it's about the turnaround time, about getting it done as fast as possible. They usually don't give me it. They're like, oh, we need this done within the hour. I look at the clock. It's like, it, it's 3.57. You mean by five? No, no, by four. Like, That's three minutes. Like, <laughs> I got to do this in three minutes. So yeah, I literally have to have a studio at home I can never use the excuse, like, sorry, I'm stuck in traffic. Or like, what traffic? Between my bed and the door of my studio? Like, <laughs> I, tr- I tripped on a sock. I can't make it. Um, so, yeah, it became very expedient uh, to get things done very quickly and be good at it. So there's a lot of pressure in this job. And it does. It takes a long time to get up to that point. You don't just start doing this right away. Uh, a lot of it requires improv skills. Taking improv classes is a big thing. Networking is a big thing because some people only want to use people. Like, Seth, Seth Green is a great example. Everybody in Robot Chicken that he doesn't voice himself, they're all friends of his. Mm. Like the Super Troopers guys, they're all buddies from college. Mm. They, they, they work with the people that they know. They're Seth, Seth, uh, Seth Green or Seth uh, Rogen. Right. All those guys are friends of his. But Danny McBride, and Seth, they, you see the same guys working with each other all the time. There's a reason for that. Because they already know each other. They already don't get their sense of humor. They've probably already got really wasted and high and already did this fake movie or whatever and then they realized let's just make this into a movie let's, let's, just, let's just make sausage party you guys <laughs> it's like they probably got stoned and it's like what if food could talk and then just made a movie about it and now it's getting its own freaking show what the heck <laughs> yeah no it's it's true networking is yeah it's very a big, important it's a big thing. in la and you can't do that outside of here yeah you, you can't do it online. in memphis 
Because a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, no matter how much interaction you get for them on social media, they don't consider, they, they still look at you as a fan. In fact, one of the main reasons why I started going to, to pop culture conventions was not because I worked in pop culture, not because I was a content creator, because nobody really knew me at the time. But it was a way to get FaceTime with people that I could not see any other way. Mm. And a lot of voice actors are doing that just to supplement their income because a lot of these jobs don't pay a lot of money. And a lot of the jobs that we do get, they may even if they're union, they don't have residuals on them. Like with movie trailers, once that trailer's done, it's done, and you don't get any extra. Ca- you don't get credited on IMDb for all the trailers that you do. Yeah. You certainly don't get a big fat residual check for any of it. So they get paid X amount of dollars to come in for two or three days when they're not doing any voiceover work, and they sign autographs and they do videos and whatever, and then they get treated like royalty for a few days and they go back home. But for people like me who didn't didn't live there or lived you know very far away where it would be too hard to drive or too expensive to go, and you'd have to get a hotel and a flight and et cetera, et cetera it made it a lot easier to network with those people. Because then you can realize, like, oh, I'm not just a fan. Like, I'm a, I'm, I'm a peer. I'm, a, I'm, I'm on the same playing field as you are. And sometimes a lot of people are intrepidatious about it. They're like, oh, you're just... Because they see 3,000 people a day, like, I want to be a voice actor, too, because a lot of people do. But when they realize that, oh, you, yeah, I know you. I know you from the thing, from that thing I heard, you know. Then it started becoming a thing where I started getting phone numbers from people, like, I would never thought I would even be talking to in a million years. Like, I could actually call up some certain person, tell him happy Leif Erikson day, and he would totally get it. But I didn't think I'd ever have a number like that. Where And I try not to abuse that. And I have people that are just like after my contact information. So if my phone ever got stolen, I'd be screwed. <laughs> 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 if, they, if they hacked the mainframe, you know, <laughs> they matrixed it. Um, but yeah, it's just it's one of those things that you just you can't do any other way unless you live here or you go to conventions a lot. And that can get very expensive. And this job yeah. requires an investment of time, an investment of money, and just a very, very thick skin. You have to just keep going and keep going and keep going just despite negative reviews or people telling that you can't do it or you're not good enough. Like my, my remember the most fun thing I ever heard from my parents was like, you should leave this for more talented people like your brother. Oh, wow. <laughs> you should just Ouch. get a real job. It took four years after I'd started doing voiceover. And by that time I was actually making a living at it for my mom to actually acknowledge I was doing a real career because she found a, 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 cl- a clone trooper helmet that had my voice in it at Target. She's like, I found your voice, and I was running around the, the store going, my son's a toy, my son's a toy. I'm like, they're going to lock you up. <laughs> they're going to have a padded wagon outside waiting for like, let's take your son in the, in the truck now. <laughs> Come on with us. We need you to sign some paperwork. <laughs> yeah, anyways. But yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. And it's, it's always the coolest when it's something that I'm a fan of, like already, like getting to work on transfer. Like there's a, uh, I just booked another one, but there's a brand new Transformers game that came out that I did 12 characters in, and I was so happy. Getting to voice characters that are on my favorite list that I haven't got to voice before. And being that guy that they know that I can work within this rate and do this amount of work and get it done in this amount of time, that, it, that all those factors start to come into play. Where I'm, I, I want to make myself indispensable to certain companies. Mm-hmm. Like when it comes to Disney, when it comes to Marvel, when it comes to DC, any, any of the big properties that are doing pop culture nerd things, because Hollywood pays a lot to make sure that stuff's always trending and always featured and all, you know, because you always see something on the main pages of being in your in your for you page or feed whatever they call it depending on what app it's on that just like you're going to see something for entertainment there even if you don't look at it or never seen it before it's going to be it's going to be promoted or sponsored by you can't avoid it anymore so you might as well be working for the people that are constantly pushed on that page and you might as well be making content about the kind of stuff that's being featured because then it's relevant and then you're kind of just automatically hitching your wagon onto whatever's trending and you keep on doing that as much as you can as much as you can uh amc is really good about it amc and fx they've embraced the fandom they're like the the guy that does custom pancakes for example started doing 
Breaking Bad pancakes of Heisenberg stuff, and then gets featured in a freaking commercial. Wow. You just never know. And then Walking Dead, you know, people, fans started doing their own. There's there's people who have literally done nothing but lookalike, soundalikes of Rick Grimes and Negan. And, and, they they're, just, and they're, made, they're made a full career. And now they're being they're being hired as guests for conventions. And wow. Getting, yeah. And they're getting cast for fan projects or whatever else. They're getting, you know. Put your work out there, essentially, yeah. as the. As because the companies are looking for a way to find consumers. And yeah. if they can find what people are watching, that's why YouTube changed. You, we, we helped build YouTube. We were the community that was the foundation for that. But as soon as they got what they wanted, they got big celebrities and big studios they brushed us out of the side, and they're like, now we're a TV network. Now we've got Cobra Kai. And they forgot about us. And then we discovered TikTok. So we all moved over there. Now, all of a sudden, YouTube's like, wait, guys, we put money back in, and we're making YouTube shorts. Because <laughs> they realized what they did. You know, yeah. But we'll, we're go where, we'll go wherever the creative outlet is. But the, they'll know, find the, thing that, find the stuff that people are watching, and then offer them people money or brand deals, whatever, to promote products. And I try to avoid the ones where like, we'll give you this free microphone if you make video. I'm like, <laughs> I've already got a microphone, but if you give me a thousand dollars, I'll do a video, you know. But you have to do that, or you just cannot survive, especially in a town this expensive. Yeah. With lots of kids who are all teenagers now and eat you out of the house. <laughs> I should have I should have bought stock in Ralph's and Costco or something because man, they eat groceries so friggin' bad. <laughs> Well, that's a very fascinating journey. It wasn't like a moment where you said, I got to quit this forklift job to be a voiceover. Yeah, Everything really kind of just, it was like, yeah. Hey, you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but it also, it, it, like you said, it's a journey. It's like, it's not one particular moment. It's little break after little break after little opportunity. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. I give God all the credit because I, this is not something that I came up with. God gave me this talent and gave me this ability. He gave me this skill set. And it's applying it. And part of it's just bringing joy. Like I got joy in my heart and I love making people laugh and love making people smile. And if that can also help create income where I can help other people, because I do, I do a lot of my money that I get, I try to help other people with it. Uh, and if I can't help them with money, I try to help them in other ways, whatever I can do. Because I, I don't believe in the whole, like I've, I've met a lot of people in this industry that are very close to the best. Like they don't want to share anything that they've learned because they're afraid they're giving up their own work or they're creating more competition for themselves. I'm a firm believer in that there's a huge amount of work out there. Voiceover is not this one little tiny. It's it's massive. It's so massive. There's so many different areas. The best are the best will be the best. They'll get hired for whatever. So it shouldn't be a matter of competition. It's just the best person for the job is going to get the job. And if I miss an audition, I wasn't meant to get it. You know, if I get sick, I wasn't meant to be. But I'm not going to be like, oh man, that guy got it. I mean, I have to. I fight that every once in a while. I was like, man, guy's not, not even half as good as me. It's a brain half the size of us. <laughs> But also, you know, I've, I've met a lot of people in this industry that I'm extremely proud of and, and happy for because they deserved a shot. They're extremely talented and they got their shot and they made something huge out of themselves. Uh, Valeria Rodriguez is one of them. She booked uh, Monster, uh, Monster High. She came from kind of nothing. She came from the fandom like I did. And now she's on a main Nickelodeon cartoon. Um, Zeno Robinson, he's now gone from being in, I believe it's JoJo's Bizarre Circus on anime. Now he's a main Transformers character in the new mm -hmm. Nickelodeon series. Like, it's, it's, it's awesome being just a little footnote in some of their stories. I mean, like, I knew that guy before he was anybody else. It's kind of like when uh, my favorite group, the Cannons, um, they, they had a concert out here, and I'm like, they're going to be huge. I just, I have a good ear. I'm like, they're going to be huge one day. I'm going to be like, dude, I went to the Cannons concert in 2022 <laughs> before anybody knew who they were. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I, I think uh, this was a really great time talking to you, John, learning Thanks. your story. Uh, any last words of wisdom, or have you imparted everything that you have? Um I guess I, I, I do have one. Okay. Wherever you go in life, that is where you shall be. 
<laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'm ending it on that. That's it. Thanks a lot. Thanks, man. Appreciate you having me.